Hello, and welcome to the Language of Mindfulness podcast. This is a podcast for people who want to have more great conversations in your life. You want to connect, you want to speak authentically, and you want to listen deeply. This is how to do it, and it's the real deal. So why should you listen to the Language of Mindfulness? Because in every episode, I'm going to give you tips and guidance I've learned in my pretty extensive career of coaching and practice from the best and brightest in the field of interpersonal communications, public speaking, meditation, group leadership, and somatic psychology. And we're going to have interviews with some amazing people about their groundbreaking work. It's my goal to give actionable and uncommon tips and advice in every episode that you can implement right away. So subscribe or follow now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you don't listen, you're going to miss some great stuff that you just won't hear anywhere else. I'm your host, Brett Hill, and welcome to the Language of Mindfulness. Hey, and welcome to this edition. I wanted to talk today about something that's really, really hard for people to master, and not that I'm a master by any stretch of the imagination, but in terms of learning how to do things better, this is in the category of one of the things that's harder. And what uh, what that is, is the notion of suspending or putting on pause our tendency to be judgmental or to judge things. This is a very, very important skill that takes some practice. Um, Let me tell you about a a workshop I was in uh, with Ron Kurtz. It was on loving presence. And one of the exercises was an exercise called Do Not Decide. This this, uh, little exercise sounds a little uh, maybe unusual when you hear it, but it had a big effect on me, so I wanted to share this. In the exercise, you sit down with someone and you get mindful and present, which means, you know, of course, you just kind of sit there for about 30 seconds or so until you get a little calmer and you kind of orient to the fact that you're sitting across from somebody that you probably don't know that well. And still, it's all very comfortable and friendly and, um, you know, mutually supportive. And so you pretty much probably trust the person that's like across from you. Maybe even you like them. And they're going to ask you a series of questions, and uh, the questions are prescribed in the workshop, or there's some examples. But some of them are pretty straightforward. So, for example, the question might be, how old are you? And, of course, everybody has a mathematical age. And so if someone asks you how old you are, you would respond with how old you are. And so it's pretty straightforward. But in this practice, the, end, the, the, the assignment is not to respond with what you know, but rather to kind of fuzz it out, to um, think to yourself, well, okay, yeah, I'm, you know, let's say I'm 42 years old. Um, and, and that's an example for me, but it's, obviously I'm older than that. But it's for those of you that are on YouTube watching, um, it's more of an example, like, okay, so someone's 42 years old, and they can say, hey, I'm 42. Yeah, of course. And that's your chronological age. But is that your soul's age? Is that your educational age? Is that your your school of hard knocks experience age? Or are you wise beyond your years? And, and so in some ways, it's kind of like, well, what is age? You know, what does it really mean to have an age? Am I in um, and and so you use thinking like that to kind of fuzz your answers so that the response that you're assigned to give is 
uh, I don't know, or I'm not sure. And and yes, it's an artificial construct in the sense of it's like, yeah, you, there is an obvious question and it's an obvious answer. But the, the trick is to m- go through a mental process of answering in a way where you maybe don't come back with the certainty of things. So I think to myself, well, I'm, I, you know, I don't know why some people say I'm an old soul. So maybe hundreds of years old and then other ways I'm, I'm just a beginner in many things. So, you know, I'm just like, I'm very young in certain kinds of areas of my life and learning. <clears throat> so I don't really know what they mean by age. And so I would say, I don't know. Another question that of that along those lines would be something would be, um, what's your name? Okay, well, everybody has a given name, right? Or most people do. <laughs> and some people even change their name. So are you your given name or your changed name? And in some um, cultures, particularly, you know, original cultures, there was a, this notion of a true name. Um, there was a notion of like, there was a name that you knew that your that your friends and your closest friends and family knew your tribe knew that was not the name that you gave to everybody uh that there was your common name and then there was your personal you know uh, name that only those who were intimate and you trusted knew and that they and that name was your true name that name was your the name that represented the core of who you are so there's your kind of walking around town name and then there's the at home with your tribe name and so what's your name becomes well i I don't know i have more than one name you know and people call me all kinds of things and my you know i had nicknames and there's a true name and then there's like the name that other people know me by and you know are any of those names really my name I don't know. And so the answer becomes, I don't know. And so you get the idea. The idea is to fuzz out the, these notions of definiteness to become one where you don't reply automatically. Now, <clears throat> as it turns out, I'm actually, it's easy. I'm, I'm a fuzzer by nature. I kind of take certainty and kind of find weird exceptions to it and kind of go, well, not so sure that seems like this could be true i'm not i don't know what about xyz and you know and it's extremely annoying <laughs> to people who try to get projects done with me but at the same time it's just kind of uh, my the nature in a way of who i am and i i um, uh, enjoy that in a way because it helps me find and refine uh, certain nuances to things that uh, other people might miss because I'm I'm curious about those nuances. But at the same time, sometimes it can be in the way of just simply proceeding with the obvious next steps. Um, that aside, the point being, practicing suspending certainty uh, and looking a little deeper under the hood is uh, something that we don't really do in this culture very much. <clears throat> And there can be a great value in this when it comes to the practice of mindfulness, because one of the tenets of mindfulness is the capacity or the ability or the desire to consciously be non-judgmental. And by that, you mean, it's, and let's talk about what that means, judgment. Now, a judgment is kind of, ne- it's necessary <clears throat> in many, many ways, right? You want to be able to say, you know, well, uh, I don't think it's a good night to go out because there's a hurricane coming tonight. And so I'm going to use good judgment and not uh, put myself at risk. 
Um, and so that's obviously a situation where there's an objective uh, reality about the forecast and you're making a choice about what to do. And that's showing good judgment. So judgment isn't bad. So that's one of the things to keep in mind is like, as I've seen on some uh, Facebook pages and stuff where people get into this notion that judgment is bad. And it's not bad in and of itself. Where judgment becomes a problem is whenever you do it automatically without noticing that that's what you're doing. <clears throat> so the point, like it goes like this, like somebody walks in the room and you have a first impression and you judge that person to be a particular type. So maybe you think that they're... Um, um, powerful and rich and easygoing and they're socially adept um, just because of the way they look, the way they walk in the room. And they haven't even spoken to you yet, but you've made a decision already. And, and that's the way our first impressions work. It's like within seconds you have already made, a, a, I wouldn't necessarily call it a decision, but you certainly have a firm uh, expectation about who this person is based on the way that they behave, they appear, um, their you know, nonverbal movement, the way they walk, the way they dress, uh, without them even speaking a word. And so consequently, that's really interesting. And when you know that we're doing that because we're wired that way, it's just neurological, it's a neurological fact that you can, that that, that occurs. Um, for example, there's there's research that shows that you decide what something is before you know what it is. You can flash um, images in front of people so quickly that optically you just can't even see the image very well. You can't even you don't have time to tell what it is. It's just like, oh, I don't know what, what I just saw, but I know that I like it or I know it was feels bad. And so pictures of people like hurting another person or pictures of of uh, that are pleasurable and beautiful will have an impression on you, you know, a definite impression, a measurable, statistically significant impression um, in the direction of how you feel about the image, even though if someone asks you what you just saw, you couldn't say. And so consequently, we are always making our neurology is always making decisions for us, if you will, or feeding us feelings about things that are kind of beyond the level of our perception or underneath the level of our perception. So someone walks in the room and you've got a bunch of that going on. You've got these feelings that are kind of being fed to you by your neurology based on your past experience and based on, you know, your state of mind and even where you are in the day in terms of, well, do you feel great? Do you feel tired? All of those things come into play. Uh, and, and that's really showing up more and more and as they get into neuropsychology. Uh, just as an aside, for example, there's been research to show that if you ever appear for a judge, you definitely do not want to do it in the afternoon. You want to do it in the morning. And there are certain times of days when you can you can see that uh, very remarkable, very standout statistic is how harsh the sentences are and how, how many... Uh, negative decisions, or I'd say, you know, guilty decisions come down um, based on the time of day. It's absolutely unbelievable. And so I think something has got to be factored in around that because it's just becoming 
a neurological fact uh, that judgment is significantly changed by the temperament by by the time of day and what you've eaten and all kinds of things like that and yet we depend so much and there are such powerful impacts on people these things decisions matter and for them to be controlled and this you know, I could go back to the point of view of, of someone walking in the room and you having a decision about this person um, that affects what you say and what you do. Those things matter and they can be important conversations that can go one way or the other. So knowing these things about your neurology and about the way that we behave, it makes sense to practice a form of I am not going to act on my initial thoughts on things I feel strong about necessarily, particularly the ones that are urgent and right away, without pressing pause. And that's, the, of course, the key thing about mindfulness is the capacity to intentionally, on purpose, press pause and go, oh, hold on a second. I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to pay attention to the fact that I feel this way about this person and I don't really have a good reason to. So how much of that is just me making up stuff from my past or the way I'm feeling because I'm in a bad mood or I'm in a great mood or and how much of it is what's actually happening in the moment. Now, to be fair, some people have really refined senses and are very, very good at uh, perceiving, you know, nuances in other people and are pretty accurate. I'm a pretty good reader myself uh, of, of people, but I know enough to to realize that when people walk in the room, I have this going on. And so uh, and, and another interesting thing that happens is like as you get older, um, your brain sort of categorizes people into categories. And so you have facial types, body types, vocal types, and it's very powerful. Well, somewhat very power. I notice this all the time in myself. I'll meet someone new and they remind me a great deal of someone that I used to know. And maybe that relationship was great or maybe it wasn't, but I, but I noticed that my mind really, really, really wants them to be just like that other person because we like continuity. We like, you know, our world to make sense. Oh, people who look and act like people who look like this, they must think this way and they like these things and they're outgoing. Listen, just, just use an example. They're outgoing and they're funny and they're vivacious. But maybe actually if I push pause on that long enough to inquire as to what kind of person is this really? And as a coach, you have to do this all the time. Push pause on my own judgments about things and say, well, now what is this person really like? And get under the hood with that. And until I have enough um, grounded information from you know, them feeding back to me their actual experience and observing without the biases having such an influence on me um, that, oh, you know, maybe they're not at all. Maybe they're actually, instead of being a very going with the flow person, they're a very structured uh, point by point. I had that happen to me the other day. I was talking with someone and I had a feeling that they were a very go with the flow sort of person. But as they started talking, they were very much a real organized. Let's check this now. Let's do this now. Let's move on. Let's get it. And, and kind of like I had to push pause and go, oh, this person isn't at all like I expected them to be and not be attached to my notions of my expectation be open and be open to my experience of them being really, really different than what I thought and, and not being attached to that. So I was like willing to, to quote unquote be wrong because it's no big deal that I'm, I'm, I had the wrong idea. Um, and, 
And in a way, it, it's actually kind of fun because I go, oh, wow, there's this, there's this nuance. Remember, we talked talk about how oh, I like these nuance, you know, particularly in people. There's this nuance here where I've got this expectation of, of someone, how they show up in my senses, and I expect them to be a certain way. And they turn out to be a whole other way. To me, I feel, that feels to me like I'm just becoming more informed um, and better at it. So maybe my next time I encounter someone, I'll, I, I, I'll have that added to my database of experience and um, will be better at being with them from the beginning rather than having to make a readjustment. Now, this these kinds of biases or implicit biases that are in your system, um, I, you can work with those in ways that, like I've talked about, where you can just learn to suspend judgment, learn to notice. And one of the key things I want to um, leave you with is when you have, uh, like I mentioned before, kind of snap judgments, the ones that come on early and strong. When you have these early and strong Get suspicious about those. Like, notice that that's happening to you. But So the next time you meet someone, pay really close attention to what you are expecting this person to be like and how they actually behave and see if those are lined up. Sometimes it does. And it's that's cool and groovy when it happens. Uh, at the same time, uh, be open to that not being the case, to letting yourself really be um, open to having a different experience than the one you're expecting. And in that way, we can begin to see each other more clearly. And, and this also makes it difficult to kind of lump groups of people into categories because you start to begin to appreciate that we're all individuals. And while it's true that there were, you can make generalizations about categories of people in certain ways, um, and that's a necessary function, uh, and it's it's just a you know, and the way the brain works, you can't really avoid that. It's kind of like all the people who live in the South have a certain way of talking, for example. So there's a thing like accents, and, and obviously not all the people who live in the South have a certain way of talking, but there's generalizations that you can make. Like there's a thing called a Southern accent, and uh, I, gr I grew up in Oklahoma. And so while that's not exactly a Southern one, it is definitely one. And it's one that I know pretty darn well because I was there. I lived it and I breathed it and I was amongst it. And so so that's an honest experience that I had. And thank God for theater training, which kind of coached me out of it. But still, it's there. And, and after a few beers, I fall right back into that slang. And, and uh, you know, it's homey and fun and cool in a way. No, I'm not about cool, but it's homey and fun sometimes. Uh, and but the point being that there's a group of people that you can you can generalize about. And those things aren't necessarily wrong, but they're not necessarily right either. And so you want to, as a human, as, as a mindful human in communications, or with us, you know, since we're talking about communications, be mindful of how people speak to you and how you speak to people and how your how that does or doesn't align with your judgments and learn to press pause on your judgments and get curious. Is this really so? Ask questions, be open. Then we can see each other much more clearly in a much more true way. And that's going to help us connect that's going to help us be more real and have more authentic, deeper, meaningful 
relationships with people. And that can happen a lot faster and a lot deeper and a lot more meaning for us when you practice non, being non-judgmental, one of the pillars of mindfulness. Thank you. So that's a wrap on today's edition of the Language of Mindfulness podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If so, please leave us a review on iTunes and follow along on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. We'd really appreciate it. And check us out at languageofmindfulness.com where you can sign up for a free coaching session or download our PDF on eight ways to be more mindful in a virtual meeting at languageofmindfulness.com slash eight, number eight ways. Thanks a ton, and we're looking forward to a lot of great new content coming up as well. Have a great one, and stay present. Thanks.